How's it going, everyone? And welcome in for a special edition of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. I'm Zach Farmer. And as you can see, we have a great panel here um, that's going to be able to talk about some WCC basketball, preview the season, what we're going to see, and all that good stuff. Uh, before we get to do that, I'll do some housekeeping items and get into that. So uh, first off, uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube, on Twitch, and then also go ahead and follow on uh, at Post by Zach on the other platforms, TikTok, Instagram, uh, Twitter as well. Um, and then there is now a official uh, X Twitter account dedicated to the podcast, uh, Unoff WCC Pod. Go ahead and follow that there as well. So as I so I will go ahead and introduce our panel here. So first off, we have uh, Rocco Miller from, from the Bracketeer. He does a great job covering all of college basketball, especially a lot of the mid-major conferences. And um, you can find follow him at, at Rocco Miller 8. Uh, Andy Patton from Locked On Zags and Locked On College Basketball Podcasts. Uh, great content from him as well. Check him out. Um, you can find him at Andy Patton CBB on Twitter. And then Connor Hope. From the Heat Check Hangout podcast, Heat Check College Basketball. You can find him at Hoops Hope CBB. Guys, thanks for hopping in and thanks for uh, talking some college hoops. Great to be here, Jack. Thanks for having us. Yeah, and you know, it's like as I was thinking about it, going into this first, this last week, this last few days before college basketball, before the college basketball season, I am. I'm sure all of you are like are so exhausted about talking what might be and how we're finally able to get to some games. Uh, we've had some exhibitions. We've had some of the secret scrimmages. So there's something to actually be able to see in action and only a few days left uh, before we get to games, official games on Monday. Uh, what, are, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to in that first week? Um, and Andy, I'll start with you. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of fun games uh, in the WCC in that first week. You know, I, I, I was, uh, miffed a little bit by seeing that Gonzaga doesn't start their official season until Friday, giving us uh, some time to watch some other college basketball games before the Zags get going uh, officially uh, against Yale on Friday. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to be going to that Portland Long Beach State game on Monday, first day of the season. I think that's a, a fun matchup between two solid West Coast uh, programs. And I just think that this is going to be a, a really intriguing season in the in the WCC. Of course, no BYU. Gonzaga and St. Mary's look maybe as as comparable as they've been in a really long time, just in terms of really kind of a 50-50 toss-up on who's going to win the league. And I think there's a lot of, you know, we're not going to have that answer in week one, but I think it'll be fun to finally get some real basketball, see how those transfers look uh, at Gonzaga and, and, you know, the other programs with transfers, see how St. Mary's adjusts to not having Logan Johnson and uh, Kyle Bowen. And, and I think it's just, like you said, it's going to be exciting to finally be having real basketball to talk about and not scouring box scores from Gonzaga Baylor that may or may not be real and everything else that's been going on uh, the last couple of weeks as we get ready for the season. All right, found, found the unpause button. Uh, Rocco, what, what are you looking forward to? All sorts of stuff, Zach. Uh, you know, I don't know where to begin. I, I love that Andy brought up the Portland-Long Beach State game. I think that's one of the, the best openers anywhere, uh, certainly a top 10 game across the country and uh, probably the most significant game in the WCC, at least in, uh, from what we can tell on paper, for opening night. Um, so I'm glad you'll be there. I, I do think, you know, more or less like across the country and here in the WCC, it's just kind of all these mysteries of 
you know, whether it's waivers being approved or uh, injury rumors, you know, it's things that are just whispered. And, you know, you try, it's funny how like during the off season, I'm in touch with almost all the staffs in this league. And then we get this close to the season. Nobody's talking, nobody <laughs> wants anything to get out. So it just kind of makes our sport very unique and different. Um, you know, if this was a pro league or even other, some other college sports, like so much of this information would be readily available. So we just learned so much and they start us with a bang. I think nationally, 126 games, uh, D1 versus D1. If you count all those non-D1 games, close to 200. So it's just, it's a lot of madness, a lot of data to track. I probably won't sleep a lot Monday night, uh, but then we'll, we'll really start to get our, our, be able to sink our hands into uh, what we're working with and how many of our premonitions were right, how many teams we need to kind of reevaluate as we go. And that's what November's all about. Connor, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I think the first week, Sunday for me is a really big day in the WCC. Um, you've got Portland, UC Riverside uh, on that Sunday. You have San Francisco, Boise State, LMU, Yale. Uh, St. Mary's takes on Weber State. And I think it's, is it Pepperdine who takes on on Lafayette? Um, I, I think all of those games are pretty set up, are set up pretty well as litmus tests for where you expect those teams to finish, right? Pe Pepperdine against Lafayette, one of those big ones where, you know, Pepperdine has to win that game. I think Lafayette's not a, not a great team, but it is a litmus test in terms of is Pepperdine ready to take that step and become more respectable uh, in the WCC UC Riverside and Portland, I think are both, they're both expected to finish in the middle of their conferences. I'm a huge fan of the big West. I think, it, it's a good snapshot of what uh, Portland looks like post Moses Wood. I think it's a good snapshot of what UC Riverside, and I know this is not a big West podcast, but what they look like post Zion Pullen. Um, and, and, but to me, it's the, it's that San Francisco game against Boise state. It's that LMU game against Yale. And then Tuesday. So not on the Sunday, but Tuesday, it's the Santa Clara game against Stanford. Like those three games are going to go a long way in determining what those next three teams behind the top two look like, uh, at least early on in the season. Because really, I mean, and we'll probably discuss it, but that's one of the biggest questions is just who takes out. And BYU over the last year or two hasn't been this, wasn't the same as they were when they first joined the WCC. But it's really like, can a team step into that BYU role as the third team in a triumvirate of teams that include Gonzaga, St. Mary's, and then, you know, there's a hole there. So, so I think those, that, those two Sunday games and that Tuesday game, I know it's not the first week, but they're going to go a long way in, in showing what those three teams look like. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm with you there. It's, it's going to be a really, those three, it's whoever can get off to the best start, whoever can pick up those early good, good wins, especially like you talk about USF getting like has Boise state and Santa Clara with uh, Stanford. Those are two really good wins that can be had for those teams uh yale for lmu that's just one like i feel like they just have to it's a you got to have it sort of game because their their non-conference isn't as, like, as strong but we'll get into um those three a little bit later um so i do want to tease that we'll um go ahead and drop some uh, questions in the chat um and some comments uh we will get to some uh fan questions a little bit later in um the the stream uh and then also we'll be drafting our wcc lineups we'll be doing a kind of a starting lineups um and we'll do that later on in in the show 
So let's so one paint the picture of the WCC going into this year. So a year ago, two NCAA tournament teams, Gonzaga St. Mary's, Gonzaga got to the Elite Eight, St. Mary's to the round of 32. Both ran into the buzzsaw that was the eventual national champions in UConn. Uh, USF fall, fell off after an NCAA tournament year a couple years ago. Santa Clara, third place for the second straight year. Uh, a lot of new faces on these teams. A lot of all these teams outside of St. Mary's really hit the transfer portal hard. Um, so as we're kind of going through these first few weeks, what's or the first few months, what's kind of like one of the two big storyline, one or two big storylines that uh, you're looking forward to um, seeing or what you want to track um, early on in the season? And Rocco, I'll start with you. In terms of the first couple months of the season, I would say, you know, one of the, one of the big storylines out here in the Bay Area with St. Mary's is that, you know, the last three years in a row, they've had a top 13 adjusted defense. A huge reason for that is Logan Johnson. So he finally departs. He's probably the best athlete, especially uh, defending the perimeter that Randy Bennett's ever been able to work with. So how big of a dip will the St. Mary's defense take without him? Obviously, so much of that is scheme and um, you know, design and, and mucking it up and all that. But uh, just just the fact that the last handful of years, Bennett had Logan to just say, hey, go shut down the best player on the other team. And it worked in 85% of their games, it seems like. Uh, now, you know, it's a whole different look and feel. Like, even if it becomes um, a Josh Jefferson, a Jordan Ross, a Mason Forbes, it's not going to be the same level of athlete as Logan. Um, so they are going to have to adjust for that. And that, to me, I'm pretty fascinated about that just in terms of how good St. Mary's really is. And then I think, um, you, you know, the, the big, biggest storyline is if one of those three uh, on paper, it's really hard to predict anybody in the bottom five emerging as any kind of that large caliber team. But you can make a case for a Santa Clara, a San Francisco or a Loyola Marymount if they play well enough in these first two months. And I just want to say Santa Clara um, did an incredible job with their schedule, really taking on the St. Mary's model of recent years and, and really going for it. They're in a, a tournament where they play Oregon in the first game and they get either Alabama or Ohio State in the second game. That's unheard of for a program like Santa Clara. So the fact that um, their coaches get it, not only from a recruiting and the scheme uh, pr perspective, but they're also now doing it across the board nationally in a scheduling uh, uh, manner. As you mentioned, Zach, they finished third the last two years they finished in the 60s in the net uh, in that range. They've had multiple first-round picks now. And um, I think they're just tired of not really getting seriously considered by the committee. And they've gone out of their way. Uh, you know, to, to my knowledge on paper, they're at 11 games against top two quadrant teams on, you know, on paper. See how that shakes out later. Um, but how many of those 11 games can Santa Clara win? Uh, I think they have the best chance of the three just because of that aggressive mentality they had in the offseason. Connor. Yeah, for me, one of the biggest things I'm looking at is Santa Clara's backcourt because you've had two straight lottery picks um, or two straight, you know, NBA picks in, in Pajemski and Jalen Williams, but it goes further than that, right? They had Trey Wirtz and, and Taj Yidi for a while, KJ Fagan and Jared Brownridge, Matt, Matt Hauser was there. Santa Clara has been really good with Herb Sendak at just pumping out really good guards. They're kind of like the mid-major of 
of Wake Forest and what Wake Forest has been able to do now with the way they just pump out guards. And you you have Jalen Benjamin and Adama Ball coming in. Um, you you still have Carlos Marshall there who who looks like he's going to take on on a bigger scoring role as well. Like, does one of those three players emerge? Because I agree with Rocco. They did a fantastic job scheduling their non-conference. And if they can get the most or they can get an Adama ball to hit his ceiling and, and, and what he was kind of expected or projected to be coming out of high school or, or Carlos Marshall can take that next step. Jalen Benjamin, like they're all experienced. They're all really good guards. And Herb Sendek has produced really good WCC guards more often than he hasn't. So I'm, I'm interested to see what Santa Clara does in that backcourt and who of those three emerges as the alpha. Because it, it, in order for them to finish third, one of them will. And any of those three could, and I wouldn't be surprised. You guys kind of took the, the ones that I was going to talk about. Uh, San Francisco's <laughs> backcourt is a big one for me. Uh, um, I, I do think that LMU and San Francisco, in similar ways, uh, re- rebuilt backcourts in a significant way. We're looking at a lot of WCC teams with, with pretty new backcourts. And you mentioned, Connor, you mentioned Herb Sendex. Ability to develop guards, but that's been a really promising thing that we've seen at USF as well. Of course, Chris Garlison only in his second year, but there was a lot of really great guard development with Bouye, with Khalil Shabazz, of course. And now you get somebody like Mike Sheriff Johns come in, coming in from Dayton, former top 100 prospects, six foot eight guy who who could conceivably run the point guard for them. I'm really excited to see what that looks like. Malik Thomas coming over from USC, Jonathan Magbo in the front front court for them coming over from Missouri State. Like I'm really intrigued by the San Francisco roster. I'm I'm intrigued by the the newcomers coming in. And I think one of the big storylines in in a lot of conferences and especially in the WCC is what coaches are going to be the best at identifying transfer portal talent? Because most coaches, uh, even younger coaches have been conditioned to, you know, learn how to, to, recruit high schoolers. You know, that's what that's what college basketball has been about for decades is recruiting high schoolers and finding the right piece for your team. And now teams are getting this opportunity to do it in a different way. And some teams have kind of been ahead of the curve. Gonzaga has been recruiting transfers for a long time. I think that has helped them kind of usher into this transfer portal era. But, you know, how is how LMU's got four new guards in their backcourt? Like, I think Stan Johnson's a great coach, but this is a really big year in terms of kind of proving his ability to not only coach X's and O's, but find the players in the portal that are going to most fit your system and what you want to do. And out of these three teams in particular, since we kind of seem to be focused a lot on that with uh, San Francisco, LMU, and Santa Clara, like which of these coaches can pick the players in the portal who are going to most fit their system? Because they're all getting talented players, but you know, none of them are going to get dramatically more talented players than the other. All all three of these teams are probably going to get similar type, but who can fit the pieces better together the best. And I think that is something we're going to see a lot of this year, in particular with these three teams. Yeah. The kind of all three of you kind of, kind of like, like led me into where I was going to go next and talk about these three teams. And just like, because there's a lot of story to each of them. Uh, LMU probably brings back the most experience of any, any of these te- three teams. And they also have maybe the most intimidating front line of any of these three uh, coming back. Uh, Santa Clara maybe has the highest upside. USF seems to always just be in the mix. Who of which of these three, and what it is gonna is it gonna take for one of these three to potentially be maybe a sleeper NCAA tournament team? Because 
I get the feeling it's going to have, it's going to be only one of them. There's no way it's going to be multiple of them because they're just going to beat each other up. I can go first. I, I think, and this is going to be different than where I have the teams ranked. I think the schedule for Santa Clara puts them in a better conversation to take that because we're assuming that all three of these teams are going to be competitive with each other, which means none of them are going to be significantly over another in their record in the WCC. But Santa Clara has winnable games against teams that should be in the mix. I mentioned Stanford on, on that second Tuesday of the season, but they also play Oregon who is a beatable team. If they beat Oregon, that's a, team that's picked to finish top five in the pack 12 he's on they're picked to be in the tournament by a lot of bracketologists um and then after that you've got if they get alabama that that'd be a tough one ohio state would also be a tough one but you know if i'm santa clara like ohio state's not insurmountable um cal's much going to be much better this year new mexico they play them utah state washington state san jose state yale like they play a really good schedule with beatable opponents that are going to provide them with quad one quad two opportunities that i don't think a san francisco they play a lot of high majors or higher mid majors but you're looking at the game at boise state and, and maybe the game at arizona state that are going to be their real quad one quad two opportunities uh, LMU's the same. They they play Yale at home. That's probably not a quad one. It may be a quad two. And then after that, you have Nevada at Nevada is probably the last opportunity. Maybe UNLV or Sa- Santa Barbara can move into that tier, but that's probably the last opportunity they have. So, you know, the, in terms of marquee wins, in terms of the schedule, in terms of avoiding, you know, high major teams that could beat them that aren't going to be in the mix for those high net games i think santa clara has the clearest path maybe not the easiest but the clearest path to the tournament of those three teams i agree um i I mean i i think i i probably prefer san francisco just in terms of uh, i really like the players they brought in i kind of already touched on that recently but I, i do agree that Santa Clara has put themselves in the best possible position to make the NCAA tournament because if you, San Francisco, I mean, even the year that they made it, they had to go almost, they had to basically win every game in the non-conference in order to do that. They dropped, they dropped, it was a Grand Canyon that they dropped to that year. Um, and then, and they yeah. still made the tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Barely. Yeah. And, yeah. and I feel like their schedule is set up similarly this year where they, they're going to have to be really, really good. And, and with so many new players, it's, it's going to be really tough. Whereas with Santa Clara, they got some new players they got to bring in too. And we got to see if, you know, if Adama Ball can handle the pressure of being the next guy to really pop the way that Pajemski did. Uh, but, you know, they got Jalen Benjamin as well, a guy that I think is going to have a really, really productive season for them. So I trust Sendak as a guy who's been around a long time. I like this schedule. So I think they are in the best position. But I certainly think uh, LMU's additions in the backcourt and San Francisco's additions could put them in a position where they could do some really interesting things this year. Just not sure they're set up as well schedule wise. They're going to have to be as close to perfect as possible. And it's hard, it's hard to get there. So it's very hard mm-hmm. to get there. That's why not a lot of teams making the, the big dance out of the WCC for, yeah. uh, for a long time. Yeah. I mean, the, the odds are against all three of them for sure. And for me, 
you know, for forecasting this and my one opportunity to just be all opinion, you know, every, every other bracket I put out throughout the year is based on facts. Um, you know, it, I really can't just put any of these three in the tournament right now, but I do think there is the angle and opportunity for a lot of the reasons uh, both Connor and Andy just mentioned. I think, you know, um, from a, from a basketball standpoint in the last week, I've been able to see both Santa Clara and San Francisco practice. Um, so I know when they play each other, that's going to be phenomenal to watch uh, very different teams. Um, I'll, I'll say that San Francisco is uh, very offensive. Uh, almost every guy on the, on the floor can score. Uh, it's going to be a super exciting team to watch. And now Coach Gerlison's really trying to lock down that defense a little bit tighter. Uh, Mogbo brings a level of athleticism at six foot eight that I've never seen on the hilltop in the, you know, five to 10 years I've been going to games over here. Um, and so that's pretty exciting. And, and it's a much bigger team. They've, they've been running around at San Francisco with these three to four guard lineups, little six, one guys, you know, it's worked, uh, but this could be a whole different type of team. There's, there's more guys at six, seven and six, eight. And then you've got Marcus Williams as primarily uh, the only small guy. Um, and Marcus, you know, for, for anybody that wasn't really paying attention to USF the last 10 games of last year, he really started to get it and it started to click and he became a really good contributor those last 10 games. I think that springboards him as he's now uh, the catalyst, the leader, the, the new Shabazz, the new Bouye, um, the new Sule Boom. You know, they, they've had such great guards in this uh, last 10 years on the hilltop. He's the next in line. And he just, to me, I've gotten to know him the last couple of years, seems so much more mature right now and ready for the responsibility. So I think there's a lot to be excited about on the hilltop. Just, you know, can they get enough stops? Uh, that's something I know they're working hard at. And then I think on the schedule, Connor, you hit it pretty well, but I'll, but I'll, I'll mention they do get to go to Vanderbilt as well. You know, ideally for San Francisco, Vanderbilt has a decent year. Last year, that would have been a quad one game. So we'll see how that shakes out. The Minnesota game at Chase Center, <laughs> as bad as Minnesota's looking right now, that it's almost becoming a must win. Um, and then, you know, shifting over to Santa Clara, another team I got to see practice. Um, it, it, it's uh, it's an exciting time. I think, I think it's the most mysterious team in the league, which is a big reason why I want to make sure I saw them practice. Um, you know, they've obviously been doing great in scrimmage season. They beat UCLA, a very shorthanded UCLA team. Um, but Carlos Marshall looks terrific. Um, he's just a natural scorer. He was scoring pretty well those first three games last year before he went down with the injury. And then the other guy who's really just come on strong, a little bit surprising to me, uh, transferring in from American University is Johnny O'Neill. I think he's certainly cracked the starting lineup at this point. And I know he had a big scrimmage. Um, it's kind of surprising just because you don't think of a guy transferring over from the Patriot League uh, to be this big, um, you know, uh, burst of of offense. But he uh, not only is he that, but he, he's really sound fundamentally defensively that you kind of expected coming from the Patriot League. Um, so those two guys are really starting to pop. Uh, Adama Ball, I agree with you guys. He's the best athlete on the team and, you know, he'll be leaned on heavily for different types of uh, defensive assignments. And of course, it would be great to see his offense come along uh, as wonderfully as his potential can allow for. Um, but I do think uh, overall, the moxie of the team and the attitude of the team is a very a focused, a very determined, um, not a lot of mental mistakes are going to come from this team. And you combine that with San Santa Clara's schedule and their great coaching staff. Herb Herb's done a great job hiring a great assistant staff uh, that I've become friends with. And those guys, they work extremely hard. So I, I do expect Santa Clara, if we are separating the margins, to find a way back into third. That's some of the margins that they're winning on. 
And then, you know, Loyola Marymount, I did get a chance to talk to Stan Johnson at media day for a while. Um, just like you guys, I like the, the, the old age of this team, obviously mixing in some new pieces, but Le Pepe staying around and um, some key ingredients there. And I, I do think schedule-wise, the road game at Nevada is a big opportunity. UNLV is basically a road game. It's at one of those other Vegas arenas. I think Michelob Ultra, um, you, you know, both Nevada and UNLV have some upside themselves. Uh, the disappointment is LMU is not playing a power six team, but metrically it could still shake out okay for them. They also get a really strong Colorado State team uh, at home. So um, there are some opportunities within there as well for the Lions. And the one thing the Lions have that Santa Clara and San Francisco don't have is they actually beat the top two dogs last year. They won in the kennel and they beat St. Mary's at home. Um, and uh, San Francisco and Santa Clara can't claim that. Yeah. Uh Great thoughts, everybody. Like that, I really, I I think I'm probably more on like the Santa Clara USF boat, mainly because as you've all mentioned, the schedule, they get, they grant themselves more opportunity. It does seem like LMU has to almost be perfect with the schedule that they have to have a shot and then also still have to do maybe the impossible feat and try to beat Gonzaga and St. Mary's in the same season again. Again, after after last year, yeah. um, and also trying to figure out you don't have Cam Shelton anymore. I do really, I do think that we're going to get some nice things out of Justice Hill uh, coming in from LMU, coming in for LMU. Like I, just two years ago, he was on that thirty win Murray State team. So I do think that there's some potential there, in addition to some of the other guys you've already talked about. And so as we've kind of talked about, like that, Santa Clara is probably the one we all kind of think is maybe the has the best shot. At making that leap uh, would be their first NCAA tournament since '96. So long time, long, yep. long wait for the Broncos. Uh, so, what's what's maybe a story or who was a player that maybe we haven't we haven't been talking enough about heading into the season? Maybe something that's been going a little bit under the radar. Um, and um, and Andy, I'll start with you. Ooh. Start with me as I'm scrambling to look to try to think of a player <laughs> who, who could qualify for this. Oh, actually, I do have one. Uh, a guy that I meant to talk about in an episode we did of Locked On College Basketball, where we were talking about, uh, you know, kind of under the radar freshmen who are going to make a, a potential sophomore leap uh, in their second season. And so for me, that would be Juan Sebastian Gorosito, uh, who I think is going to step into a starting role for the Pilots, a uh, guy who played a 22 and a half minutes per game last year, seven points. Uh, was a, a really, really good three-point shooter, just under 40%. Uh, you know, stepping into his sophomore year, obviously Portland kind of funnels everything through Tyler Robertson. He's their do-it-all, jackknife, you know, to all WCC, almost certainly type of player. Uh, I cannot believe he's still in college basketball. It feels like he's been around forever, but uh, they don't have Moses Wood anymore. We talked about that earlier. And, and so they certainly are missing some of that floor spacing, some shooting. And and I saw Portland a handful of times last year. I lived close to campus. And, and Gorosito was a guy that really impressed me with kind of the energy he brought off the bench and, and seemed to kind of really have a strong grasp of of the team and, and the, the system that they were running under Coach Leggins. And I expect him to take on a, a much bigger role this year. I, I think the depth that you UP is, is a bit questionable. A lot of freshmen, a lot of guys who haven't played before. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him play, you know, maybe close to 30 minutes a night. And and again, Leggins and UP have developed guards very well. And he's certainly not the same type of player as Robertson. He's a lot smaller, a lot uh, thinner, but a guy who I think uh, his outside shooting and, and what we saw from last year could lead to him having a, a really successful sophomore year. 
Yeah, I'll go with Tyler Beard at Pacific. Um, first of all, nobody really talks about Pacific, so I guess I can pick any player. <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll represent for the Tigers today. Um, you know, they lose Ivy Curry and Boone. And the Pacific program, you know, I, I do think they work really hard and they do they do more with less. So it was kind of like the theme of WCC Media Day. Everybody was kind of whispering about them behind the scenes. Uh, but Beard, as, we, as the four of us know, has that capability to go from a nine point per game score anywhere to the high teens uh, and, and really be a catalyst for them. I don't know if their offense will allow him to. It's why I won't like predict what his averages will be. But I do think if, um, you know, I do expect Pacific to, to at least be seventh place this year. Um, it's hard for me to put Pepperdine or San Diego above them. Uh, we can cover them in a little bit, but um, I, I do think Pacific's got the upside uh, to knock off of Portland, certainly and uh, potentially even the three that we discussed as tournament caliber teams because they, they play so tough. Uh, if they get some early wins, they, they, they have a really soft non-conference schedule. But when you're a team like Pacific, you're not really in the at-large conversation anyway. Uh, that's going to actually help them a little bit and gain some confidence. They could come into league play with 10 or more wins, which I think would, uh, whether it's you know uh, war warranted or not, uh, that could actually give them some some great confidence going into league play. A guy like Tyler Beard's going to need to uh, lead the charge, you know, with with others like J Judson Martindale, Donovan Williams, uh, Bo Odom, and the, and the crew over there. But yeah, just just a, a really solid player that if he has some nice numbers, could play his way onto all conference. Uh, my breakout player um, in in the conference this year is is Joshua Jefferson but I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about him later. I, I don't know if he's going under the radar. I think people just kind of forget that he's still in college basketball, but I think Ethan Anderson going to Pepperdine is huge for that offense because you're talking about an offense that was middle, you know, bottom half, middle of the pack when it came to assist rate. They only assisted on 50% of their made shots. Uh, you, you watch Pepperdine at times last year and their offense just could could often look a little bit discombobulated and and Ethan Anderson when he was at USC had a really good assist like he was a willing passer could could set the table for his teammates i know things didn't necessarily go the way that he wanted to scoring wise at Wyoming uh Wyoming had a had a pretty bad year last year but he comes in with high major pedigree you put him at the point guard and allow some of these other players for Pepperdine to really work around Anderson. You can free up Houston Millette uh, off the ball. Uh, you know, J Javon Porter, who I know everyone looks at as one of the best pro prospects in the conference, um, you know, can, can get some passes. Uh, Bubakar Kulabali can get, like, Ethan Anderson's going to set the table for this offense. And if if Pepperdine is going to be competitive in the middle of this middle of this conference, I think it's going to be because they, they finally have what I view as a really steady hand at the point guard position, not to take away from what, what Mike Mitchell did, not to take away from Millette's ability to play the guard position. But I think Ethan Anderson, if for nothing else, he is that steady hand that can be a floor general for you, especially at the WCC level. I really like that poll. I, I think that's one of the things that Pepperdine had been missing for a while. It's that, that steadying hand, that leader, that senior leadership that 
they've been such a young team the last couple of years. It's been, I think, a challenge for them to really find that mm-hmm. stability. So I, yeah, I, I, I like that poll. The one I'm going to go with, I'm, I'm really interested to see the the rebound season for Chris Austin coming off the devastating injury at the end of uh, the season two years ago. Uh, all reports seem that he is he's back, he's healthy, and yeah. kind of all forget that this is a guy who was a 15, 16 point per game scorer there for for Portland um, a couple of years ago, and this is a guy who can light it up. And if along with uh, Gorosito and Tyler Robertson, like you start to have kind of a little bit of a three-headed monster there in Portland. And yes, the, the, that Portland team still lacks some size and still needs to kind of figure some things out. But I don't think this team's going to have any trouble scoring the basketball. And Chris Austin is going to be one of those uh, key pieces. Definitely can't overlook him up at Portland. Good call. I was actually going to use him, but uh, Andy already used a Portland player, so I shifted. <laughs> Stole it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that Portland team is going to be interesting to watch. I mean, obviously, like we we saw what the, there was some potential early last year, and then injuries and other things just kind of unraveled that Portland team a year ago. Uh, but we'll see what uh, Shante can pull out in year three up up on the bluff. So one of the big conversations that Obviously, some of the news that broke out just a week ago was the updates to the NIT. And this potentially could have an impact on the WCC uh, with the the change that there's going to be now auto bids for the Power Six conferences into the into the NIT. And they will be dropping the auto bid being the not the regular season champions of the leagues that don't make the NCAA tournament, the teams that don't make the tournament. What? Just some like initial thoughts or like, cause I know like all of us were tweeting about just how <laughs> upset almost all of us were about the changes and how this impacts the lower leagues. Um, Rock, I'll start with you. Cause you, you have contact with a lot of like, I mean, all three of you have contact with, with a lot of the coaches about what this looks like and Rock, I'll start with you. What were your, what have you been hearing? What are your, what were your initial thoughts? Initially, you know, from a math standpoint, uh, you know, the 32 team field, is, you know, from a WCC's perspective, because I've got texts from coaches last year that didn't get in. Um, nobody got in last year except Santa Clara. So uh, it was like, what can we do to get in the NIT? And I'm like, well, if they expand to 48, you can get in, but the math doesn't work. So now that the fact that they're going to give 12 auto bids away, two per power six leagues, at least for this season, um, the numbers are are shrinking even further. So those three teams we talked about that we all like as potential third place teams, um, you know, maybe the math shrinks even more this year and they all get boxed out. I mean, that could theoretically happen. You know, last year, if you look at the net, not that it's a perfectly net scenario, um, you had to be about top 70 to feel good about your chances. And of course, teams like San Francisco and BYU were well outside of that. Uh, And so so just initially from the WCC standpoint, that's the standpoint. The, The bigger picture is, um, you know, I think we all get it as college basketball community fans, whatever your role is in the sport, that if you're a power conference supporter and your team misses the, the actual tournament, unless you're like picked 15th in the ACC, like Louisville or somebody, even Louisville, they wouldn't care about playing in the NIT. Almost every single power school would be disappointed to play in the NIT. So that shuts off the majority of those fans. Um, 
I can't remember what paying that much attention to the NIT unless it's a, a team I have a close relationship, like a team out here in the West. Um, but I typically don't watch it myself because I everything I do is working towards the NCAA tournament. Everything that every coaching staff does is working towards the NCAA tournament. So if you have that many advantages at the power level and they're giving you an automatic bid to the NIT, your, your majority of your fans are not going to care. A lot of those coaches, if you go back just for the last handful of years, which is what I was tweeting about, um, you're either going to have teams with losing records, you're going to have teams with interim coaches because if you miss the end of it, guess what? If you have a, a coaching contract, there's a bunch of coaches going into this year with this hanging over their head, it's tournament or bust. So like Mike Hopkins at Washington or Jared Hass at Stanford this year, if they go to the NIT, they're not going to be coaching in the first game of the NIT. They'll have an interim coach. It's just the way it is. It's the business that we're in right now. It's the world we're living in. And so it just doesn't excite anybody. The problem is, and this is where the TV math is, is not like a basketball thing, but it, we have to live with it. If, if there are, let's just use an arbitrary number. If there are 5 million, you know, Stanford viewers out there, which there's not, but we'll use them as an example. Uh, and 2% of the 5 million watch their NIT game. That's better than bringing Alcorn State with 80% of their fans watching. And that's some of the math. And those are really the teams that are going to, get popped out of this thing um, because every year you have like a SWAC upset, you have a Southland upset, you know, teams in the bottom part of D1 that rely on this automatic bid to get the money for their league. It's a, it's a guaranteed contract. And so those leagues are really, really going to suffer. They actually really need the money. These larger schools don't need it, but um, the, the bigger picture here, fellows, and I'm sure you guys all know this is uh, earlier in the off season, Fox announced they were going to start a 16-team uh, power conference-based postseason tournament. A lot of us made fun of it, but this is actually a real threat to the NCAA, who's now in charge of the NIT. And so, as Dan Gavitt said yesterday, you know, the move here is to preemptively uh, get in front of that Fox threat. They want to make sure they're getting the best teams from each of these leagues into their tournament and not going to the Fox tournament. And this was one way to kind of get ahead of that. Uh, but of course, the rest of college basketball, including those of us here in the WCC, uh, are like, this is illogical, et cetera. So I'll, I'll pause there, but that's the, the big picture. Yeah, you know, I, I uh, spoke I with. Go ahead, Connor. I can't say anything. I think oh, you didn't you're say anything? going okay. again. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> um, I spoke with Darius Nichols, the head coach at, of uh, Radford in the Big South, uh, just on today's episode, Thursday's episode of Locked On College Basketball Podcast. And I talked to him about this, and he basically said a lot of what you just said, Rocco. He, he basically said it felt like the NIT was fixing a problem that didn't exist and creating more problems. Because now, like you said, we're going to have teams, in you know, Power Five teams that don't care about being in the NIT. And Power Five players, you know, if you went to, you know, Oregon or Stanford or who, wherever, and you didn't make the NCAA tournament, like some of those guys are going to want to be entering the portal. And with the way that the window is set up right now, like those guys may not even play in the NIT. So like, who's going to want to watch, you know, Washington without Mike Hopkins and without, you know, three of their guys, because those guys are going to enter the transfer portal and they don't want to, you know, risk getting hurt or playing in a game like that. And, and so you're going to have this team that the fan base doesn't want to watch. The coach may not even be there. Some of the players may not even be there. And that team's going to be there instead of Santa Clara, who probably could have won the whole dang thing. And, you know, has a, a an arguably 
comparable roster, better roster, the teams together, the coaches, you know, Stan John- or, uh, Herb Sendek or Stan Johnson at LMU is fighting for, you know, to win some more games and build up their resume. And like, that's just better for the sport to have teams like that in this event. And again, I'll go back to Coach Nichols at Radford because he lost, his team lost by one point to Campbell and didn't make the NCAA tournament. Now they didn't win the Big South regular season or else they would have qualified for the NIT bid, but this could happen to them again. Like this is entirely something that happens in conferences like the Big South or the Southland, uh, like you were saying, Rocco, and those teams are are not going to get these opportunities because the TV markets believe that uh, there's a lot more fans of Washington, so more people are going to watch the game, but those fans do not care. They don't care. And so it's just frustrating that they're addressing a problem that doesn't really need to be addressed and they're potentially creating more problems and once again kind of sticking it to the little guys in a way that is is frustrating especially the timing of the announcement doing it right before the start of the season i know that rankled a lot of people the wrong way justifiably so yeah exactly i think yeah just one further point on that is it it's rewarding uh teams based on some arbitrary metric for television dollars and not on their merits. I think the 99% of college basketball community would much rather see a 26-win team from a small league that had an incredible year, and they just had one bad weekend where they didn't win their conference tournament, and see if they can go out and beat, like, Alabama in the first round. Like, you know, the last year of Avery Johnson, they lost to Norfolk State in the first round. You know, those kinds of things are what make the NIT kind of cool. And so even, you know, besides all the other points, like, we're not even going to see those matchups now. I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate because I'm torn between not liking the decision and really wanting it to pan out. And the reason I say that is it, it's still rumblings, right? It, nothing clear cut has come out yet, but there's still rumblings. And I know Fran Fraschilla and a bunch of other talking heads have said that, you know, there's a real possibility that the top conferences in college basketball, top conferences in the, in college, but like the top conferences in college basketball split away, right? And you leave, you'll leave all these players, not out, just out of the NIT, but also out of the NCAA tournament or whatever they call it, right? And part of me wants this NIT thing to work out for those big conferences. If there's any shot that that maybe puts to bed their desire to break away now that they can maybe get more teams into the NIT and maybe get more dollars. Now, do I think it will? No, I don't think it'll work out. I think that it, that the, the desire for them to get more money is still going to be there. If they were thinking about breaking away last week, they're going to still think about breaking away after this season. But like, that's where I'm torn. Like, If this is really works out and you get 10 additional or whatever, it's going to be 10 to, 10 to 12 additional high major conferences teams that agree to go to the NIT and it works out and they get more money and whatnot. Maybe that lessens those rumblings, but again, you're, you're cutting out teams that would already be cut out in the first place if you were to, to just break away. So that's where I'm torn. Like, I'm not saying that I think it works out or I think it's good, but, but I'm like kind of hoping that it does what I hope it does, which is give at least appease those top six conferences when it comes to their desire to get more money out of the college basketball postseason. I we can continue to have this conversation forever and ever. I feel like we could definitely like spend another thirty minutes to an hour talking about this. But I do want us to kind of like move on a little bit more. I mean, it's we'll see like if 
what happens with the NIT, if what actually shakes out, what ends up being the official, official uh, word on all of this. Um, I too am, was very disappointed in the decision, but we'll see um, how this all breaks out. So I do want to get to a couple of questions that we did receive um, on Twitter um, just um, um, in the last couple of days. Uh, so I'm going to start with this one uh, from someone actually, some of us may, may know, uh, Tristan Freeman over at Busting Brackets at Hoopsnut351. Uh, are there any viable candidates to either be on the hot seat or lead the WCC for another job after the season? Well, interesting question. I would say just starting with the top of the league, Randy Bennett gets his name thrown in there, especially after what he's done the last few years. Um, but it would just take an incredible offer to get him away from Moraga. He's not going to, you know, good chance Stanford opens, for example. Um, I'm pretty confident he would turn that down. Um, you know, it would have to be a premier, premier college basketball job. He's already got St. Mary's in the top 25 uh, on a regular basis now, if not even better. Um, so that, that that's a start. Um, another guy is uh, Stan Johnson at Loyola Marymount. If Loyola Marymount makes the tournament, I can almost guarantee you uh, if he gets interviewed, uh, he's gone. Like he definitely wants to get into power five. Um, this is just my opinion. No inside info on that. Uh, but one that would make sense to me is there's some rumors of Bobby Hurley, um, you know, whether Arizona State has a good year or a bad year uh, moving on after this year. That to me would be a perfect fit for Stan Johnson to take and jump into the biggest, best conference in the sport in the Big 12 next year. Uh, so keep your eye on that. If Loyola does have, they do have to have a great year for that to be a possibility. And then I would say on the bottom end of the stick, um, you know, Romar and Lavin, the old classic guys, you know, Lavin's got a great deal at San Diego. Uh, I thought he was going to be able to make it four years, but just earlier yesterday, um, it was announced that the athletic director got fired and that was his guy, Bill McGinnis. Um, so wait and see on that, whatever the new athletic director's desires are. He's obviously got to clean up the football thing, which only at San Diego in this league, is that a, is that even a reality? Um, but then, you know, I just really have been underwhelmed with San Diego's uh, unwillingness, you know, ever since this offseason started to take a transfer player portal. Uh, you know, it, it really just comes across as him wanting to have a, uh, more of a retirement job. Obviously, he's going to fight to win games, but th their roster is so overmatched in the, in this league. Um, and then, you know, Lorenzo Romar, uh, he's, a, he's a legend. I, I, I'm i a Washington guy originally. Uh, I love him to death as a person. He's rode out this Pepperdine thing for so long. Um, they haven't won a road game since 2021 in, in, at all. Like, <laughs> like what are we doing? Um, so if somebody at the top decides to care about basketball uh, at one point, and I know, like, uh, their AD is super tight with him, so maybe it never happens. But if if they change priorities at some point, maybe he's got to watch over his shoulder. Um, so I think that's the lay of the land. I think Shantae at Portland is solid for at least the next two years. Um, if you know if anything crazy happens where they have a great year, of course he'll get interviews at other places. But he's got a he's got a really nice contract. And then Sendek I think is really settled in at Santa Clara. Um, so so I think for the most part that covers it. Yeah, you know, the thunder. It's funny. Uh, I um, we talked about this on the Lockdown College Basketball podcast. We did our WCC preview. Uh, the WCC is one of the very few conferences that didn't have any coaching turnover last off season, and it doesn't yeah. look that crazy to imagine that kind of carries over for another year. Like there are no yep. very obvious like 
this coach is for sure going to leave if uh, if the team makes the tournament. Like, again, Gonzaga and St. Mary's are going to make the tournament, but those two coaches probably aren't going anywhere. Uh, Gerlofsson hasn't been at USF long enough. Uh, you know, Stan Johnson, I think, is one of the more likely jump candidates if LMU pops. Uh, and and kind of echoing what Rocco said, I don't think there are any coaches at the bottom that are that seat is all that warm because Lavin's pretty new there. I think Leonard Perry's done a good job. I I think Romar's going to ride it out as long as they let him ride it out. So it's kind of a, a conference in a weird spot where there are some some very good teams, there are some some not so good teams, but there aren't really any obvious coaching moves that that look like they're going to happen this offseason. We might be going to next year. We might go into a third straight year with the exact same group of coaches, which I have to imagine is pretty darn unprecedented in in any conference in college basketball. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's 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 saying something where the top three who would be jump candidates are all probably in it for the long haul, yeah. um, all settled into their their programs. And the, the bottom two that would be on the hot seat are also you got Romar and, and Lavin, who I think are pretty settled in. Um, you know, Lavin, again, is new. Romar hasn't been the greatest, but Pepperdine hasn't really shown any inclination that they're going to move on from Romar. Uh, and the top, the top three, if, if a coach were to be in a position to jump in, granted, Stan Johnson could, if he uh, makes it to the NCAA tournament, because that would mean he would have finished in the top four in the WCC three of four years, made the tournament. They kind of like a, yep. almost like a Todd Golden yep. type of ascension, but the top three that would be desired right now by those high majors are Sendek, Bennett and few, and they're not moving on. So <laughs> I agree with Andy. I think, I think we're looking at a third straight year next year with the same I guess nine coaches now uh, in the WCC. All right. So that would move on. Just looking at our, our clocks. So we're going to dive into our WCC draft here. And so I've already gone ahead and um, gone th randomized the order uh, so of how we're going to do this. I'm going to actually pull up our new order. And uh, first up on, on this draft is going to be let's see where did i put it here we go and it is going to be connor you have the first pick and it'll be me andy then myself and rocco so we'll do this in snake order so rocco will have picks four and five um in this one so we'll we'll do it in that order uh am i explaining the picks or just picking one um, uh, quick, quick explanation of the pick and some, especially these early ones might be pretty obvious. Yeah. I mean, I'm between two guards. Um, I think, I think it's pretty obvious. I think I'm going to go Aiden Mahaney. Yeah. I'm going to go with Ryan Nembhard. Why not? Because, uh, I, once I saw my name was second, I was like, great, I'm going to get one of the two guards and we'll see who Connor <laughs> takes uh, a lot of good bigs. I'm sure they won't come back to me, but got to go with Nembhard. Yeah. yeah there's. This one is where it gets hard. I feel like it, like one, two seemed really obvious at number th at three, you know, I'm going to go with the, the, there aren't too many big, big guys in this league. I'm going to, I'm going Mitchell Saxon at, at the center spot. All right. Yeah. Well, that makes it interesting for sure. Um, you know, I don't know what the criteria is in terms of, you know, points per game or fantasy or what we're going off of, but, uh, <laughs> but I'll just roll with it. I think um, Tyler Robertson, um, yeah. I'll, he's going to be a volume guy at Portland, uh, pretty dependable there in the system they're in. And then I will also uh, go out on a limb here 
And um, I think I'm going to take uh, actually, yeah, same same philosophy. I'll take Houston Millette from Pepperdine, who uh, is pretty guaranteed to, to fill it up as well. Yeah, I like the the high the high ceiling guys that that are going with there. So like rounding it back, thinking about the roster I have, and I would have actually probably gone uh, Robertson fairly soon. Uh, but you want? Know I need the four. I'm t- I'm taking Anton Watson. I'm taking him off the board right now. Maybe one of the best defenders in the league. Like. I, I like Andy, like, just be like, no. <laughs> I didn't want to go back to back Zags. So I'm a little relieved that you took Watson because I was absolutely going to take him if he was still on the table. I thought that was the right spot for him. But uh, there are, there is another Zag I feel fairly confident I could take here, but I'm going to pass on him. I'm going to go. Uh, give some some floor spacing in the front court. I'm going to go with Javon Porter. Uh, I think he, he's the upside is really tantalizing, and the, the floor is a little bit lower with him than it might be with some of the other guys that that are available at this spot. But uh, I think he's going to put up big numbers, and I, I just really like the the skill set that he would bring to this roster. Well, then I'll go with the other Zag. I'm going to go with Graham Ek. Mm-hmm. Um, I think pairing him with with Mahaney, uh, you you've got one of the top two guards in the, in the conference. You've got one of the top bigs in the conference. I, I like that. And I'm going to go with a wing here. Um, and, and Rocco was talking about how big uh, San Francisco is. And, and part of that is that playing at the two or the three, I don't know where he's going to slide into their actual rotation, but Mongolian Mike uh, mm-hmm. comes into San Francisco and, uh, you know, six, eight guards don't grow on trees. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to slide him in there uh, into one of my wings. Man, you took the two guys that I was looking at there, Connor. So that makes me <laughs> have to spend a little bit more time doing some research here, thinking about it a little bit. Um, okay, let's see. I think I'm going to go with another guy. I expect to take a, a, a step up this year just because uh, of the losses for St. Mary's. I'm going to go with Alex Dukas uh, playing on the wing again. Uh, was fantastic last year already, but now going to have a little bit more of an offensive role, I suspect, with with Logan Johnson gone, Kyle Bowen gone. Uh, really good, strong shooter, can play off the wing. I think he uh, is, is a player who's going to have a really good year for for anybody. And now it's actually getting a little little tougher here, actually, because I was thinking Duke, as I was thinking Mongolian Mike. Like, man, so especially considering I've already got some size here, I'm going to actually go out and grab grab juice hill from lmu i think he's that's that's a senior guy who knows how to win big ball big ball games can can run the floors run an offense i'm i'm going with justice hill okay well i'll take some beef some real beef in uh kelly le pepe yeah, you go. And uh, for obvious reasons, you know, we'll let Robertson and Millette go float around while Le Pepe cleans up the garbage. And then, um, yeah, like I said earlier, I think uh, clearly one of Santa Clara's leaders, maybe their leading scorer, we'll find out. Carlos Marshall, certainly uh, too good to pass up at this point. All right, I've got to start to fill out my guards and my wings. And, you know, this one might be a little bit of a – Maybe not a huge stretch, but I I like what his upside is going to be this year. Um, actually, I was going back and forth. You know what? I'm also going to kind of stretch this out a little bit because I do need some wing help. Um, I'm going with the Dama Ball at this at this point. Mm-hmm. I need 
as we, we know the high upside, if he can reach his potential, that's going to be one of the better players in the league. Adama Ball's a really good pick there. I like that. Um, trying to decide if I want to go with some – there's not a lot of, like, big size, not a lot of big rim protection in the league, which is what I'm trying – there's a few guys that could maybe fill that role because uh, that's kind of what I'm lacking on my team. But I'm also considering just going for it and having a bunch of shooting on this roster, and I think that might be what I do here. I'll figure out the center position later. But uh, give me Steel Ventures, a uh, guy who – he doesn't do much but shoot the ball, but he's really darn good at shooting the basketball, and I think he's going to fill that role admirably for Gonzaga. And I think on this roster, having uh, some a couple wings who can space the floor, big men who can space the floor, we're, uh, we're going to shoot the crap out of the basketball on this this team here. I'm I'm going to I guess my next pick I'm going to pair another uh guard who can can handle point guard duties alongside Mahaney. Um I, I don't really think either of them in this construct are going to be the primary point guard, but uh I like Nolan Hickman this year and I think he's going to be really good. Um so I I'm going to go Hickman there and I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. So my fifth pick and this is going to be a stretch is is going to be Joshua Jefferson. Nice. I like it. Okay. I need some size and some actual size on this roster. A lot of floor spacing, not a ton of size. Uh, so for me, I'm going to go with a guy that uh, I spoke with coach Chris Garlison uh, earlier in the off season. And, and he was very excited about a lot of the new guys joining the roster as you'd expect, but uh, really talked, talked very admirably about Jonathan Mogbo. And uh, he's, you know, he's six, eight. He's not a huge guy. There's certainly some, some bigger players in this league that, that might've fit that center role a little bit better, but Seven rebounds per game last year. He's a really, really good defensive player. That's what Gerlison's really excited about with him. And uh, I think he's a guy who, who's going to do more for San Francisco than I think a lot of people are, are expecting him to. Nice pick. Nice pick. Yeah, like, like the Mogbo pick. All right, so I've got to wrap this up. So I've got my two big men. I've got a, got my point guard, got a wing. So I've, I can play a little bit of going one way or another. But, you know, a guy that we have – that we haven't talked a whole lot about a guy that I think is, has pretty high upside going into the year. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going with Augustus Marcellonis here. Cause I, I think that he's going to have that breakout season paired next to Mahaney. Uh, but with this group, it's like with Hill and Marcellonis, I like those two together because uh, we started to see that, He's starting to be more assertive, and I think we're going to see some big things from him this year. Excellent. Then am I doing the last pick only then? It's yep, all you. you got the last pick. Okay. I might have missed it, but hopefully he's still available. Um, I would like to take Marcus Williams from San Francisco. Is that a, is that yep. a possibility? That's a thing. Yep. Yep. Thing. All right. Still there. Yeah. So Marcus, as I said earlier, Odie spoke glowingly about him, much more mature player. He's getting the keys to the car. I need a point guard. It's a no-brainer decision. Love All it. right. So as so as you can see there, there's our starting five. I'll I'll put out the whole screenshot on Twitter a little bit later, and you can tell us who actually picked the best starting five. Uh, so drop it in the comments, and we'll also I'll be sure to put it on Twitter as well. All right. So which so as we talked about those starting fives, we know that the We'll we'll get to the two big boys. We'll talk about Gonzaga St. Mary's because these two we know are going to be at the top of the league. We know that this is going to be maybe 
uh, the closest these two teams have been in a long time, even on a talent front, they might be as close as they've been in a, in a while. So going into this year, the coaches picked St. Mary's by the slimmest of margins. We've seen a number of publications go back and forth on these two. Who wins this league and what what is the difference between in this margin between Gonzaga and St. Mary's? And Connor, I'll start with you. I have them so close together. Um, I, I, I'm going to go Gonzaga by the slimmest of margins. And I think my reasoning for that is both teams lose. And I'm going to say they lose their best player from last year. Uh, Mahaney was great, but Logan Johnson was the best player on St. Mary's last year. Obviously the Gonzaga's Gonzaga loses Drew Timmy. They also lose straw there. Um, Kyle Bowen, wasn't the second best player on St. Mary. So, um, but I feel more confident about the pieces that have come in to replace what Gonzaga has lost than I do St. Mary's. Not that I don't think St. Mary's replacement pieces or the players that are Joshua Jefferson, Mark Julionis are going to be great. They're going to be great. But if there's a question mark for St. Mary's, that's it. The floor for guys like EK, if he stays healthy, Steel Venters as a shooter on the wing, to me is more secure for Gonzaga. So I think they end up tying, but I can't really say that. So I'm going to say Gonzaga probably wins out. They're probably going to be a seed line or two higher than St. Mary's. It's not going to be a not going to be a far drop between the two of them. But um, I'm going to take the ceiling of Gonzaga over St. Mary's. Andy. All right. I'll go Gonzaga too. Um, I think here's my reasoning for it. Um, both teams are considerably better than everybody else in the league, but what it's going to come down to, if there is a difference, uh, because I'm assuming they're going to split is who's going to lose to somebody else. And obviously we saw Gonzaga look more uh, beatable. Uh, I mean, obviously they did get beat. They got beat by LMU for the first time in Spokane since 1991. Uh, but to me, I think St. Mary's in part stylistically because they play that slower offense. I think they're a little bit more prone to potentially getting upset by by teams like San, San Francisco and Santa Clara and LMU. And, and I think talent-wise, they're basically equal. I agree with Connor on that, but I think there's just a slightly higher likelihood that St. Mary's drops the game to a team that's not quite as good as them than Gonzaga. Uh, Gonzaga's bench is absolutely a concern. They have they're probably only going to have one player coming off the bench who has ever played Division One basketball before. I expect that to be Ben Gregg, but everybody else hasn't played at that level. But Mark Few also doesn't really play his bench very much. So I think being overly concerned about bench depth for a, a coach who ranks like in the 330s in terms of bench minutes uh, isn't something that I'm as concerned about. Uh, certainly, you'll need to see a, a leap from Hickman like uh, Connor talked about. But I think that there's a slightly better chance that St. Mary's drops the game. They shouldn't than Gonzaga, but uh, yeah, there, there's no way in my mind that this, this uh, standings aren't within a game of each other between these two teams. Uh, pretty close to uh, both of you guys. I, I, I've already been on a few programs predicting a co-championship. I, it's really hard not to. And I know Connor, you were avoiding that. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's just logical. Uh, last year we saw something interesting happen because they both, lost to LMU, mm -hmm. uh, but they did split on each other's home floor. So no matter how you slice it, they still shared the championship. Of course, St. Mary's got the one seed, and then Gonzaga blew them out of the or Orleans arena in the championship game. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, was a big 
letdown of a if you wanted to see a close game. Uh, but I agree stylistically, Gonzaga's got another gear they can go to offensively as they always have. Um, and, you know, Gonzaga plays a national schedule. So um, between the Maui Invitational, a bunch of marquee games, I know UConn's out there and others, um, they're going to pick up some some big national wins along the way before we get to league play. And so just from a where they finish standpoint, um, you know, this will probably be exactly where it gets published. It's about, about to be finished up on my end, but I have uh, Gonzaga 13th nationally and St. Mary's 16th. So, again, really close. Those are both four seeds in the bracket. Um, but Gonzaga just a, a notch above. And I agree as well. Like, if one of them is going to lose to anybody else in the league, um, you know, St. Mary's to a degree, just from the athleticism standpoint, if they go cold, they can make up for it usually with defense. But, you know, we saw them lose a couple early games last year to Colorado State, New Mexico at home. You, you would ha- you would like to think Santa Clara, San Francisco, Loyola, Marymount are on that level. Um, the, you know, I, I'm not going to predict that. I think they probably just both lose one, um, but we'll see how it shakes out. And uh, that's what makes it fun. And and I think I agree with all of you. I also picked Gonzaga as much as it pained me to pick Gonzaga. I still went with the fact that by the slimmest of margins, I feel like there there is that they'll pick it up toward the end of the season. We saw Gonzaga get stronger as the season went on the second half of conference play last year uh, after the lost LMU, after the the scare at Pacific, we saw them start to play better and better as the year went along. Yes, there's no Drew Timmy. Yes, there's no Julian Strother, but they have the point guard that they didn't have a year ago. And between Ryan Emhard, uh, Nolan Hickman going to the two, which I think is going to really greatly benefit him. If Graham EK is healthy, this team does have the pieces to win the league again, and it will be, if it does happen, it'll be by the slimmest, slimmest of margins uh, between these two. Uh, so just, I guess, one one last thing before we head out. Um, what is, what's the one game next week that you're all looking forward to? What's the one you've circled in the first week of the season? I can start. Uh, I'll just say St. Mary's versus New Mexico Thursday night because I'm, 90, 90% sure I'll be there. Uh, so I've already got to start preparing for it. I've been talking to people down in New Mexico. I'm right next to St. Mary's. Zach, I know that's probably the one you would pick, so sorry to steal your thunder. Uh, <laughs> but they have another good game on, on Sunday. You can't overlook that Big Sky team that's coming on Sunday. Um, but that will be exciting because New Mexico, I think if they can hit, reach their potential later this year, that will look like a really good win on paper. Um, uh, St. Mary's might actually be catching a break if Jalen House is not back. And, um, but, but they are concerned about Donovan Dent, who's a very, very incredible asset to have on your bench, which the Lobos have. So St. Mary's right out of the gate, they're going to have to be prepared, um, much like they had to be last year when they started with Oral Roberts and North Texas and Hofstra. Uh, I'll go with uh, Gonzaga Yale. Uh, it's kind of the obvious pick, uh, just in terms of um, you know, as being somebody who covers the Zags on a daily basis. But uh, obviously, Yale is kind of. I talked about this recently uh, as somebody who's kind of fascinated by scheduling Gonzaga because of the the unique position they're in. They basically only schedule non-conference games against super elite teams or incredibly bad teams. And I think that Yale and Washington were the only two teams between Ken Palm's. Uh, 29 and 220, 
I believe is what it was. Uh, every other team was basically well below that, or of course, a, a top 30 team in the country. Uh, and Yale's kind of the one of the few counter examples. And uh, it's kind of reminds me a little bit of the Kent State game last year where they, they played a, a very good mid-major opponent and that team kind of gave them a bit of a scare. And I think Mark Few said like, yeah, Kent State looks like a sweet 16 caliber team and, and they didn't end up getting there, but uh, really talented team last year. And Yale returns, I think, four double-digit scores from last year. Uh, really solid program. And I think uh, one of the more intriguing and challenging first games of the season that I can remember Gonzaga playing in a, in a pretty long time. So so not to duplicate, because th- those would be my top two. <laughs> I'm going to say Pacific at Cal. Um, part of this is not even WCC related. I just want to see how Cal, good Cal actually is versus how <laughs> good we think they will be. Uh, it's I'm probably going to bring my son there, so so that that should be fun. But um, again, it's also a look into can Leonard Perry get this team back to where Damon Stoudemire left it? Right, it showed improvement last year. Can he show improvement again against a Cal team? that projects to be much closer to the middle of the PAC 12 than they have been over the last five years. So I think that one, especially for, you know, between two uh, Northern California teams, I think is going to be a really good litmus test for both teams. Um, and, and it's going to be pretty fun to watch. I, I like that pick. Like, I, I think that's going to be really fascinating to see just how Pacific can really kind of get going in the early, in this early part of the season. We know there's some talent there and it'll be interesting to see if they can start to put it together. So I'm going to go with one last one. I'm going USF Boise state. Huge. Um, huge. This one, this is a huge game for USF. This is the, this is that first week of the season. This is the one they can write on their NCAA tournament resume. If they can get this one, I believe they're doing, they're on neutral side. I believe they're in Idaho falls, um, playing boys, or are they out? No, they, I think they're actually they in, uh, on campus. They're, 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 right. they're, in, they're in Boise. Yeah, yeah that's right. They're in Boise. I knew like there was a couple because a few, few WCC teams are playing Boise, and like some of them are neutral, some of them are in at Boise. Yeah, uh, yeah. St. Mary's uh, will but, play them in Idaho Falls later in the year. That, that's what it is. Yeah, uh, there you yeah. go. U, USF at Boise, that's going to be a really fascinating test for them against a team that went to the NCAA, NCAA tournament a year ago. A lot of new pieces. Uh, so what USF can do in that first one, seeing Mongolian Mike for in his first week of uh, play for the Dons. It'll be fascinating to watch that one. That'll be fun uh, next Sunday. All right. So thanks for, thanks to Connor. Thanks to Andy. Thanks to Rocco for hopping on um, to talk some WCC hoops to preview the season. We're only a couple days away from the start of, of games actually being played, real games being played. I want to thank all of you for hopping on one more time. And, um, Yeah, I'm sure I'll catch you all down the road. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you.